Welcome to The Painted Garden with Kimberly Trowbridge. This is a podcast about color theory and the creative life. <sighs> Hello, sentient beings. I hope you are all well and being good to your creative, loving selves. I spent some time in the garden this morning before coming here to talk to you in the studio. Beautiful morning light coming through um, the back fence and illuminating the large red leggy smoke bush and her frolicking limbs and flickering leaves uh, gave me incredible inspiration and insight. When she's back lit like that, the larger leaves that are further down glow like candles um, against a dark backdrop, and they're a kind of warm, orangey-green color. And then as the leaves kind of move their way up or from where I was sitting towards me, the leaves start to get smaller and a little bit purpler, but still glowing. And then when they reach the tips, they become this really rich, fiery red magenta. And so the whole structure of her is very candelabra-like, especially in this backlit morning light where she just flickers like a chandelier, a prismatic chandelier. So what I'm trying to say is that this morning I had the pleasure of being smoke-bushed. We are going to be reading and discussing Wallace Stevens' poem from It Must Be Abstract. It is the seventh part. And I read this poem to you a couple episodes back, and I wanted to really dive in a little bit further with it because I find the language and the ideas very relevant to me and continue to inspire me. So I'm going to walk us through it. First, I want to say, so it is section seven of It Must Be Abstract, and this section itself has seven stanzas. And the ideas and the way Wallace Stevens weaves us kind of down the page and through the seven stanzas is that there are not clear breaks, like each stanza is not an isolated, complete idea, like with a period at the end, but Rather, the ideas really weave and trickle down, which structurally makes an enormous amount of sense for the content and the meaning of what he's saying in the poem. So I'm going to kind of move us through idea by idea. He begins. It feels good as it is without the giant, a thinker of the first idea. Perhaps the truth depends on a walk around a lake. So he's saying it feels good as it is without the giant, the thinker of the first idea, or God, or some kind of being that came up with and structured, had an idea that created the world. So he's saying it feels good as it is without the giant, uh, without basically without the God, without uh, something before us, something that's already been figured out. And then he goes on to say, 
perhaps the truth depends on a walk around a lake. And so instead of this kind of a priori structure or idea, perhaps truth can be found through experience and in particular experience with nature. So feels good without God. Maybe I can find truth by walking around a lake. And he goes on. A composing as the body tires, a stop to see hepatica, a stop to watch, a definition growing certain, and a weight within that certainty. Okay, so he's walking around the lake. So the truth depends on a walk around a lake, a composing as the body tires, a stop to see hepatica, a stop to watch a definition growing certain. So no God, no pre-structure, communing with nature, kind of work in progress, a composing, okay, the verb, a composing as the body tires. So walking through nature, uh, starting to put your own kind of structures together, or noticing the structures of nature, uh, a stop to see hepatica, so a glancing over. Hepatica are these small violet-colored flowers that are in the buttercup family, okay? So we're tired, we're walking around a lake, we're composing perhaps a poem or an idea for a painting. We glance, uh, we in fact stop to see the hepatica, small violet flowers, um, and also a stop to watch a definition growing certain and a weight within that certainty. So those kind of eyes of the artist or the kind of awakening and seeing the truth and beauty in nature. And so not just a thing composed, but a waiting within that certainty, uh, that perhaps seeing of beauty, um, having an insight. And so a stop to watch a definition growing certain and a weight within that certainty. So not just a fickle thing that comes in and out, but really a moment of nature and harmony and insight holding you uh, at least for a moment, a weight within that certainty. And he goes on, um, a rest in the swags of pine trees bordering the lake. And so that also is part of that waiting, that pause. A definition growing certain and a weight within that certainty. A rest in the swags of pine trees bordering the lake. And then he goes on, Perhaps there are times of inherent excellence, as when the cock crows on the left and all is well, incalculable balances, at which a kind of Swiss perfection comes. Okay, so he's described that seeing of the hepatica, the resting um, near the lake, the pine trees, 
Um, and then he says, perhaps there are times of inherent excellence, like what he has just experienced. So that there are times where this harmony and this balance, uh, this certainty, this definition has grown into certainty. Perhaps there are times of inherent excellence. And then the example for that he gives is, as when the cock crows on the left and all is well, incalculable balances at which a kind of Swiss perfection comes. So everything is in harmony and working together. Uh, the cock is crowing at just the right moment and hour. Things are in balance and harmony, and I am part of that. Perhaps there are times of inherent excellence. And he goes on and says, so at which a kind of Swiss perfection comes, and a familiar music of the machine sets up at Schwarmare. So a familiar music of the machine, meaning really the machine of the universe, the cosmos, that everything has kind of come into a gorgeous and perfect alignment. Okay, so and a familiar music of the machine sets up at schwarmare. And schwarmare means an extravagant enthusiasm or a excessive kind of sentimentality. So sets up at Schwarmere, this balance of the cosmos has this extravagant, all-like um, enthusiasm um, and feeling for it. Uh, but again, remember in the beginning of the poem, we were able to rest within sight of that harmony, at least for a moment. Okay, so sets up at Schwarmere, not balances that we achieve, but balances that happen. This is important because, again, this is not something that the thinker of the first idea, the giant or God or perhaps another ego, has come up with. It hasn't been figured and designed, but rather it's something that happens. And so sets up at Schwarmere, not balances that we achieve, but balances that happen. That makes me think of the wonderful changingness of nature, of the garden, of ourselves as animals within this universe, that we are part of this work in progress, that it is always changing, and that those moments of insight are things that we stumble upon if, in fact, we are listening. So, not balances that we achieve, but balances that happen. And then he gives an example as a man and woman meet and love forthwith. <laughs> so balances that happen like romance, like, wow, the universe just clicked together. It's a kind of awakening, that mirror and that portal of meeting someone whose stars align with your stars. Goes on to say, perhaps there are moments of awakening. 
So earlier he started with the word perhaps too, and he said, perhaps there are times of inherent excellence. And now he's saying, perhaps there are moments of awakening. So kind of echoing that sentiment that maybe within all of this kind of chaos, this godless land, that that there indeed are moments of truth. So perhaps there are moments of awakening, extreme, fortuitous, personal, in which we more than awaken, sit on the edge of sleep. Okay, so perhaps there are moments of awakening, incredible, extreme, fortuitous, personal, in which we more than awaken, comma, sit on the edge of sleep. So what he's doing right here, these two, this sits in one line. Um, it's, of, it's the first line of the last stanza. It says, we more than awaken, comma, sit on the edge of sleep, comma. That's the line. What he's doing here is setting up this really interesting idea or kind of dichotomy. Because we think of awakening as coming totally out of slumber, out of sleep, perhaps out of naivety or ignorance. But he's describing that being more than awoken, more than awake, is to actually sit on the edge of being awake, sitting on the edge of sleep. And so he's setting up this interesting liminal space, this threshold here on this line. And really, in a way, he's talking about the conscious mind versus the unconscious. And so just to come out of slumber and be in our conscious mind, that that's not the the end all or the big picture, but to be more than awake is actually to have access to both realms, the conscious and the unconscious, all of those incredible lessons of our bodies and minds and nature that were a part of all this subconscious pooling of images and ideas that we also would have access to that. So almost picture a Venn diagram of awake and, or of consciousness and subconscious and actually letting those two circles cross over and that space within that Venn diagram that that is actually more than both of the individual parts. And that's that role of the artist and the trickster, uh, Persephone, that I've described to you before, this character that's actually able to see both the sacred and the profane, you know, the mundane and the enlightened, uh, the day-to-day or consciousness and all of the incredible dreaming magic thinking that it means to be a healer and an artist to have access to that. So he's saying... We more than awaken, sit on the edge of sleep, as on an elevation, and behold the academies like structures in a mist. So here we are, the artist, the trickster, on the edge of what is known and what is not known. Oh, as on an elevation, I almost picture my legs dangling over the edge of a dangerously deep drop. Sit on the 
edge of sleep as on an elevation and behold the academies like structures in a mist. Wow. And that's the end of that section. That idea of the being able to be on that edge and to recognize and see those moments of incredible harmony and beauty and insight. And that brings me back to sitting in the garden this morning, seeing the light come through the translucent leaves of the smoke bush. Something so illuminating and true. Uh, it is for me a kind of schwamare. It's almost excessive, the enthusiasm, uh, like pulling at my heartstrings. This incredible harmonic music of the cosmos aligning themselves and letting me and my animal nature be part of that incredible structure that I got to witness and be a part of that growing definition, that certainty, that being held within that certainty. Perhaps indeed there are moments uh, of awakening, uh, more than awakening, of course. And so the academies, like structures in a mist, all those wonderful interrelationships that we get to see when we are our most intuitive and intelligent selves. And now I will read you that poem in its entirety. It feels good as it is without the giant a thinker of the first idea. Perhaps the truth depends on a walk around a lake, a composing as the body tires, a stop to see hepatica, a stop to watch a definition growing certain, and a weight within that certainty, a rest in the swags of pine trees bordering the lake. Perhaps there are times of inherent excellence, as when the cock crows on the left and all is well, incalculable balances, at which a kind of Swiss perfection comes, and a familiar music of the machine sets up at schwarmere, not balances that we achieve, but balances that happen, as a man and woman meet and love forthwith. Perhaps there are moments of awakening, extreme, fortuitous, personal, in which we more than awaken, sit on the edge of sleep, as on an elevation, and behold the academies like structures in a mist. I love the moment where Wallace Stevens puts in the word, incalculable. It's actually a very difficult word to keyboard over with tongue and tooth. Incalculable. And I love that because he makes you slow down syllable by syllable and hit each key of that 
word, which is exactly what he's saying with this Swiss perfection. He's forcing our music to articulate itself um, in calculable balances. It's wonderful. Sometimes a reading of this poem reminds me of Matisse, uh, this idea of incalculable balances, uh, this idea of seeing, this idea of perceiving, sensing, and responding to a truthful structure that speaks of the known and the unknown through picture making. We know that later in his life, he really talked about the relationships between things, this kind of desire to rest within a certainty or a kind of harmony of relationships. Um, how one color influences another, how the size of one colored shape influences and balances or disbalances or has disharmony or harmony with another shape of color. And so many of his paintings appear kind of thin and fast, almost done in a quick one shot. But most of his paintings were done over and over and over. And so with this thin paint, he would wipe it down each day and then return to that same motif and kind of question in a way, uh, continuing the inquiry of those different balances that he had placed there the first time and then the second time and the third time. And so there would be a kind of ghost of the thin painting underneath, but he really wanted to almost test himself like that harmony or that balance that I saw three days prior. Is it fickle or can I sit here again and chisel into or get at the structure or harmony that I first saw and have it be something lasting, have it be something that I can return to? What are the essential components? What are the essential shapes and colors and relationships to each other that express a lasting truth? a truth or a certainty that one can live within. And I have really felt that um, desire in my own work. Matisse uh, at that time also talked about the inability in a way to live or the lack of desire to live with some of his earlier paintings on his walls. Like he didn't want to look at them anymore because what they reminded him of were those urgent kind of anxiety-ridden moments as a young painter, like working fast, trying to capture some fickle thing, and that those images uh, reveal that because, of course, paintings don't lie. Their physicality, like a flower, expresses all of its being and the consciousness of the making of it. And so that anxiety was something he no longer wanted to see, to live with, um, or to have in his work. And so he was seeking something more eternal, um, a kind of structure in the mist. As I've been reading and rereading the Wallace Stevens the last few days, I opened up a Mary Oliver book and came across a wonderful little one stanza poem that is very related to our theme here, and I'm going to read it to you. It is called The Old Poets of China. 
Wherever I am, the world comes after me. It offers me its busyness. It does not believe that I do not want it. Now I understand why the old poets of China went so far and high into the mountains, then crept into the pale mist. What we long for in our hearts as artists is to reach that place, that liminal place, between the conscious and the subconscious, that dipping over that space where we creep into the pale mist, that that very line is there for crossing, uh, that moving into the unknown, being able to cross the crest of the wave as it is becoming the wave. I hope you all have a wonderful week, take very good care of yourselves, and make sure to be open for moments of moving into the mist and seeing those incredible structures appear before you. Thank you for joining me on The Painted Garden.